Let's hear the word of the Lord tonight. We're turning to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 23. And I want to read from the verse 9. Exodus chapter 23. Not hard to find, of course, the second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 23, and we're going to commence our reading at verse 9. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Also, thou shalt not oppress a stranger. For ye know the heart of a stranger, seeing ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. And six years thou shalt sow thy land, and shalt gather in the fruits thereof. But the seventh year thou shalt let it rest, and lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat. And what they leave the beasts of the field shall eat. In like manner thou shalt deal with thy vineyard, and with thine olive yard. Six days thou shalt do thy work. And on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest, and the son of thine handmaid, and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all things that I have said unto you, be circumspect, and make no mention of the name of other gods, neither let it be heard out of thy mouth. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month Abib. For in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labour, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labour out of the field, three times in the year all thy meals shall appear before the Lord God. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with unleavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. The first of the first fruits of thy land shalt thou bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 19. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from the book of Exodus chapter 23 and verse 16. The latter part of verse 16 reads, And the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labours out of the field. My theme tonight is entitled, The Feast at the End of the Year. According to Exodus 23 verse 14, the children of Israel were to keep three feasts unto the Lord each year. Firstly, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was the first feast in the month of Abib in the springtime, corresponding to our Easter time. It was a feast always connected with the Passover, 
The Passover came first and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread following immediately afterwards for seven days. The children of Israel for seven days celebrated by eating bread without yeast. And that, of course, is highly symbolic and deeply spiritual. It's a message all in itself. The second feast was the Feast of first fruits that corresponded to the harvest. This feast came later in the early summer when the first of the harvest of the olive crop or the grape was ripe. On this occasion, of course, the priest was to take a sheaf of corn and wave it before the Lord on the ground of the blood sacrifice. It was the first fruit which meant that the harvest would follow. And of course, it was a picture of Christ and his resurrection, victory and glory and the guarantee of our resurrection and a better resurrection at that. And then thirdly was the feast of ingathering. This was the third major feast. It came seven months after the Passover. So we're thinking about late autumn we're thinking about into November and maybe even into the beginning of December itself. It took place at the final harvest when all the harvest had been gathered in. It lasted a full week. The Israelites lived in makeshift booths made of leaves and branches, better known as the Feast of Booths. Or it's also known as the Feast of Succoth. The Feast of Succoth, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Ingathering is one and the same feast. And of course, at Succoth was the very first place in the land of Canaan where this feast was observed at the end of the year. So I want you to think of the Feast of the Ingathering because it was one of the most popular in the land of Israel. It was an opportunity for families to get together. It was looked upon as a great holiday period or time. It was an occasion for fellowship. It was an occasion for food. It was a time of great joy and celebration. And it took place at the end of the Jewish year. Now I want you to think with me, not only of this text of scripture, but this theme. The feast at the end of the year. And I want you to learn three things about the feast at the end of the year. I want you to think firstly of the occasion of the feast. <clears throat> Notice it says, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year. Now, now we'll pause there. There are 26 references in the Bible to the end of the year. And the end of the year represents a period of time. Clearly a reference to the end of the Jewish agricultural year no doubt late October into November and I believe of course there's no coincidences in the Bible I believe everything in the scripture is for a special divine purpose the end of the year is a time to consider a time to think to think about our doings in the past and in the present We've now come to the end of 2017. This is the last Sabbath evening of the year. In fact, we know the day better as New Year's Eve. And as New Year's Eve, we look back and we ponder. And we think. And we think about the past. And we certainly have to think about the present. 
We also have to think about the future. And as we look back and ponder and think, let's consider our ways, our words, our works, our walk. You've heard the saying that time and tide wait for no man. Doesn't wait for a woman either, by the way. But in a few hours, we're going to witness and we're going to watch the passing of the old year. And we're going to experience the birth of a new year. And let me state something obvious. We're not going to see 2017 again. It's a fact that we cannot stop the march of time. We are powerless to bring back the year that's about to go into eternity. We would love to stop time. I would love to stop time. I know many ladies would love to stop time. We would love if we were able to bring time back. We, we would no doubt if we could roll back the years, we, we might decide to do things differently. But the reality is we are powerless to stop time. We're not going to be able to rewind the clock. The year that has passed is gone. And it's gone for good. It's gone forever. And it's not going to return. Someone has said time when it is spent cannot literally return. And at the end of the year, the children of Israel were to do a bit of what I'm going to call stock taking. A big question that they were to recognize and see to was has all the harvest been safely gathered in? There had to be some sort of inquiry. There had to be some sort of an examination because here's the occasion for the feast. It's the end of the year and the ingathering of the harvest marked the end of the Jewish agricultural year. Isn't it strange, young people, that schools and universities accept examination periods either before the holidays or immediately after the Christmas holidays. And of course, those examinations are important because they affect your future. But what school you go to or what university you should attend or, or what job or how far the, up the career ladder you're going to achieve. It got me thinking, the end of the year. It's good for God's people to be able to do a bit of sanctified stock taking. As one year ends and a new opens, it's profitable if we examine ourselves, examine our walk with God, examine our spiritual condition, question our heart for God and its cause. I want to take you back to the days of Haggai, in Haggai chapter 1, two times in verse 5 and verse 7, the prophet of God asked the question, instructed the people, consider your ways. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. See, in those days, God's people had become spiritually apathetic. They were careless about the things of God. And if we were to examine the context, they were in the midst of a building program that had stopped and stalled. And the people, of course, sadly, were busy doing other things. They were engaged in self-interest. They were building their own houses. The house of God had been neglected for some time. And what was God's answer to that? God's answer was to send a man. 
Who was God's man? It was Haggai. And I want to remind you, that's always God's answer. When there's spiritual apathy and, and, and the, 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 the work of God is almost grinding to a halt. What's God's answer? To send a man. And I, I believe that's the great need in Northern Ireland tonight. We need a man. God's man with God's voice. Someone who'll come and speak for God and say, Thus and thus saith the Lord. And the man of God goes straight to the heart of things. Because the heart of the problem is always the problem of the heart. And what does he say to these spiritual, apathetic people? He says, consider your ways. The word consider means have a close, detailed inspection. They were to stop and they were to think about their work, about their, their worship, their ways, their walk, their words. You see, this is important because the Lord is speaking. This is inclusive, your ways, all of them, not one specific area, but every area. Not just the prayer life, not just the word of God, not just attendance at the public ministry, but a full inspection. Not a shallow inspection, but a detailed, deep search of heart and mind and life. Not only what I do, but why do I do it? Do I do it to the glory of God? Individually, your ways. Each of us are responsible for examining our own hearts and lives before the Lord. Every one of God's people are called upon to personally inspect their own life betimes. Not the neighbours, not a family member, not another brother. How many of us of God's people are guilty of a disease that we'll call plankitis? What is plankitis? It's not seeing the beam in our own eye but the small mote in the eye of our brother or our sister. Think of the intention. Consider your ways. Think seriously. Take stock. And what better time to do it than at the end of a year? Perhaps we could ask ourselves, where are we spiritually in an individual sense? Where are we spiritually in a congregational sense? It even applies to the life of the denomination. Where are we spiritually with God? I want you to ask yourself tonight, am I a true believer? Am I saved? Have I got a testimony? Because that's where it starts. It starts with repenting of our sin and receiving Christ as Lord and Saviour. And we can only take stock in this life because that's the only time we're assured of. Doesn't the Bible say, Behold, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. And also we should not only ask ourselves, are we saved? But ask ourselves, are we totally committed and 100% involved in the service and work of Christ? Do we, do we live to do the will of God? As I said this morning, do we live to be missed? See, there's the occasion of this feast. at the end of the year. And I leave those thoughts with you. I want you to think secondly, and more importantly, the object of this feast. What was its purpose? Well, if you go back to our text, if you look at the book of Exodus, it tells us there 
in Exodus chapter 23 and in the verse 16, and the feast of ingathering. The feast of ingathering was a, a feast that was associated with joy and celebration. As I said, it was a, uh, one of the most popular feasts celebrated by the children of Israel. And what was involved in that feast? Let me suggest this. It was a feast of remembering. Because for seven days during this feast, they were to live in booths. That was a temporary shelter made of branches and leaves. And it was to remind the children of Israel of the time when they came out of Egypt and lived in the wilderness for 40 years. So we're to think back to the fact that they were slaves in Egypt. That's important. They were to think back to the years in the wilderness when they lived as pilgrims in tents. They were to think back to the past and recall all the way that God had led them. They were to think about the present, the blessings God had bestowed upon them now. It's interesting that John Newton, the slave trader, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace in the Banks of the Foyle, whenever he was converted, he wrote a, a text of scripture and he had it on his mantelpiece. It was Deuteronomy 16 and verse 12, and it was this. And thou shalt remember thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and thou shalt observe and do these statutes. He was to remember what? God has been gracious to me. God has saved me. God has been good to me. He's daily loaded, loaded me with benefits. You see, in this feast of tabernacle, or feast of ingathering, there, there was an, an act of remembrance. They, they were to take stock of the measure of their lives. I was a slave in Egypt. I was a pilgrim in the wilderness. Think of the wilderness. Surely, what would that mean? What, what would that conjure up? W would that not speak of a harsh place, a, a difficult environment, a, a place where, where, where you were unsettled? No, no, no place to put your foot down and, and say, well, well, this is home. You think tonight of life without Christ. Doesn't the Bible say the way of the transgressor's heart? You, you think of those tonight who are unsettled as far as the Lord is concerned. Those tonight without true joy and inner satisfaction. Those tonight who are looking for thrills and spills outside of Christ. Many of them have a life of stress, a life of worry, a life of problems. They have no one to turn to. They turn to the bottle. They, they turn to drugs. They, they turn to friends. They, they turn to parties. I'm not saying tonight if you get saved, you're going to be released from worry and fear and problems. But I want to tell you this, if you do get saved and become the Lord's and taste the Lord's mercy, you'll have a new purpose. You'll have a new friend. This is my beloved. This is my friend. You'll have a new meaning to life. You, you, you will have a new goal. And even in the harshness of your environment, you will have the Lord with you on life's journey. Not only remember the measure of life, but think of the mercy of the Lord. This ingathering had to do with the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. He provided and gave the harvest. And these people are to remember that. Remember the Lord comes and says, I've saved you. I've sent you forth. I've succored you all along the way. I've supplied your need. I'll surprise you. 
with my grace and goodness. It was a feast of remembering. Also, it was a feast of rejoicing. The feast of ingathering, the Lord had provided a harvest, and that was, of course, an occasion for celebration of joy. It was a time of joy and thanksgiving, a celebration, as I've said, for the harvest fully and finally gathered in. They could thank God for the harvest, the olive harvest, the grape harvest, the rest of the crops of the field. It was rejoicing in how the Lord had worked throughout the year, providing and reaping a harvest. Think of this word, in gathering. What does it mean? It means gathered in. Think of the gathering of souls. Let's think of those who've come to Christ that we know of in 2017. In our own congregation, we've saw no outward visible professions of faith, at least none that we know of. But I'm thinking of Northern Ireland as a whole. I'm thinking of those gospel missions and those special meetings where there's been the outward and visible signs of credible professions. And I thank God for every soul that I've heard that has trusted Christ. I think of the gathering into services, the Sunday services, and I want to thank you, as I've said, for your faithful attendance. Some of you never miss a week, never miss a meeting, unless you're on holiday or sick. Your faithful attendance at the prayer meeting. We long to see and hear more at the prayer meeting. We only can encourage you to come. The children's work. Remember at the start of September we had up to 27 children in. That was a tremendous effort with Brother Philip Harton. And of course the children's ministry is an important and integral part of the work. Think of the internet ministry. Brother Mark looks after the, the um, website and he tells me repeatedly that at times there's 50 to, to 100 people who, who deliberately click on to, to hear the message or, or, or to receive some information about the ongoing work here in Carrie Duff. We have a bigger congregation than we really think. For those that listen in the internet, we, we say thank God for you. We want God to bless you. And if we can help you, we, we can. Uh, and we would love to see you. Let's think for a moment of the power of the word of God. Doesn't the Bible tell us there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, speaking about the word of God, for the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Remember what we read in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 55, a, a tremendous statement there about the word of God. This is what the Lord says, And so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, for it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. I believe the church of Jesus Christ has lost its confidence in the word of God. Lost its confidence in the gospel. And of course we as a church believe that the gospel is the greatest power in the world. Young people it doesn't lie in the preacher. It doesn't lie in the elders. It doesn't rely on the presbytery. It relies solely and exclusively in the word of the living God. The word that God has inspired. The word that lives and abides forever. 
You think tonight of our week of meetings during the Reformation. You, you think back to our week of prayer meetings in January. And if you look back, we look back with joy over what God in grace has done for us. We're not rejoicing in ourselves. We're rejoicing in the Lord. As the Bible tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And we rejoice in God's grace to us. We rejoice in God's goodness to us. We, we, we rejoice in God blessing us and meeting us even when we didn't deserve it. Not only do we think of the gathering into services and the gathering of souls, but let's think of the gathering to the Saviour. You see, the feast of ingathering, the feast of gathered in, is a picture, an illustration of the ingathering of precious souls to Christ. Turn over there to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 49, and let me read to you for verse 10. Genesis 49 and verse 10, this applies to Judah, one of Jacob's sons, as Jacob lay dying in bed. And this is what he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him, that Shiloh, shall the gathering of the people be. There's a lost, perishing world all around us. We have a lost, perishing community. But we have a loving, powerful Savior. And here's a messianic prophecy. It has to do with his first coming and his second coming. Until Shiloh come. That, that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking this morning of empty seats. It was pointed out to me very graciously going out of church this morning. It's been in my mind that there was an occasion when there was one seat empty in heaven. The seat of God the Son when he disentangled himself from the bosom of the Father was incarnated in the womb of the virgin, was born a baby into this sin-cursed and fallen world. Remember Galatians 4 and 4 tells us, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might become the sons of God. And notice his name. It's called Shiloh. And we're told unto him, unto Shiloh, what shall the gathering of the people be? You see, the feast of ingathering is really a feast of the gathered in ones. And, and, and the, the crops of the field is really just an illustration of the people that's going to be gathered unto Christ. Isn't that tremendous? Thank the Lord, we're in a day of grace and souls are still being gathered in all over the world. And how much more shall this be so at his second coming when he comes into the world to set up his millennial reign. And you see, this is the object of this feast. It's a feast of remembrance. It's a feast of rejoicing. Notice thirdly, the obligations of this feast if you go back to our text, it says in Exodus 24, if you think of the context, verse 14, three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Think of the words 
thou shalt keep. And then in verse 17 we read, Three times in the year all thy meals shall appear before the Lord God. In other words, this feast is to be observed. Three times in the year all thy meals shall appear before the Lord God. In other words, they'll come to the door of the tabernacle. There'll be an assembly. They'll also come to the precincts of the temple. And the meals are to take the lead. And the instruction is to the meals, don't neglect your God-given responsibility. This is your duty. You are obliged. You must observe this. The fathers, the sons, the brothers, the granddads, the uncles, the nephews. Notice to whom they're to come to, the Lord God. Notice the way that they're to come. We're told in verse 17, Three times in the year all thy meals shall appear before the Lord God. The word appear is very strong. It's a deliberate, conscious decision. As they celebrate the Feast of Joy, the harvest celebration at the end of the year. They're not to leave the Lord out. They're not to forget him. They're to come before him. He's to be the center as far as their lives are concerned. They're to give praise and preeminence to him. In other words, they're to live out their lives before him. And that got me thinking. Because this is but a faint reflection of the day when all men will stand and appear before God. Isn't there two references in the Bible? Over there in Romans chapter 14 and the verse 10. An important statement uttered by the Apostle Paul. He says in Romans 14 verse 10. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in the verse 10 we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Connected to this feast was the appearance of the males at the door of the tabernacle or of the door of the temple to meet with God. And of course, in our giving an account to God, well, not to be to decide if we can get into heaven or we end up in hell. That's already decided. The moment you trust Christ, you become one of his sons. The moment you trust Christ, your destiny forever is sealed. But as many as received him, they then give me power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of men, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. This giving an account, this appearing to God, is to determine the level of reward, if any is due. And I was thinking, of course, the children of Israel, the males, neglected this responsibility for many years. And it ended up, they, they just came to one of the feasts, 
They certainly didn't come to the end of the year feast. But as we come to the end of this year, as we look back to the past, as we look to the present, as we think about the future, as we appear before God on a daily and weekly basis, when we feel that our life is reviewed and our life is going to be revealed, would we not be able to say, or should we not say, I wish you'd given him more? We certainly won't want to appear empty-handed. I think of those words of Francis Havagiel. Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Remember what the Apostle Paul said, writing to the church at Rome in chapter 12 and verse 1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can you see the connection? The occasion of the feast, it was the end of the year. The harvest was all gathered in. They could take stock of that. And you think of the object, a time to remember, we were slaves. And we, we experienced the misery of life in the wilderness and the mercy of the Lord. This is what the Lord has done for us. And also a, a time of rejoicing and in gathering. Glory to God, souls have been gathered in. Think of the services we have attended. Think of the fact that we're gathering unto the Saviour. It's unto Shiloh. And then let's bear in mind our obligation. We've got to go and appear before God. And our life will be reviewed. Our life will be revealed. I wish I had given him more. I believe all of us will say that. Certainly I'll say that. I believe at the judgment... Is it any wonder it says in Revelation 21 and verse 4 that God shall wipe away all tears of their eyes? Why? Because we'll all stand there wish that we'd given them more. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to our hearts this evening.